And I want to leave you with a challenge. There's very little risk for you. It could change your life, though. We're, we're calling this the 90-day challenge. What I'm going to ask you to do is, is simply what God asks us to do, to trust him and give back to him the first 10% of all we earn for the next 90 days. Some of you will talk to a financial planner this week, and they're going to say, you're going to do what? You're going to do what? Because they think it's about money. It's not about money. It's about who I'm going to trust. God says, try me on this. When Bob first presented the 90-day challenge, I knew before we left the service that day that it was time to start. As a new college student, I thought that tithing was for people who had a lot more money than I did. Giving is something I have always done as an adult in church, um, but not the 10%. I've had to manage my budget. I don't go out with friends to eat anymore, really. We need a new deck. We've got 40-year-old siding and 40-year-old windows that need to be replaced. So like I said, when we had you know, bills to pay, it, it uh, did put us to the test. Um, and that's why they call it the challenge, I guess. My test was when I needed to tithe on a quarterly commission check. And it's not about the money, but that took some faith. We didn't win the lottery. I didn't find any cash around the house and we didn't get a raise. But it's the little things that I found that have blessed us since we've been giving. It's not about the finances. It's about strengthening your relationship with Jesus Christ and taking that extra step of obedience in your faith. I can be honest, uh, my only regret in the 90-day challenge is that we waited to start until there was a 90-day challenge. Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses today. It's good to see you all. Way to, make, way to go. Made it to church on a February uh, weekend. I also want to welcome those of you watching online. We know this is your connection to our church, <clears throat> so we think about you and pray about you and just welcome you in as, uh, as part of our church as well. Before we dive in today, though, I, I just want to say how proud I am of people like these three you saw on the screen, Chris, Emily, and Peggy, who took a huge step of faith 90 days ago and began trusting God with their money by giving back to God 10% of everything they earn. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and into the place of worship. Then God says, then I will open the windows of heaven and begin to bless your life in ways you can't describe. So 90 days ago, I challenged all of you to do that, to start giving back to God 10% of what belongs to him and the response has been mind-blowing. For the past 90 days, the number of new families who have begun tithing is 1,442. And we've heard hundreds of stories like Chris, Emily, and Peggy, how God has begun using that uh, obedient step to change their life and to grow their faith. So for those of you who jumped in 90 days ago, I, I'm just so proud of you and so grateful to God for you. And for those of you who have done this for a very, very long time, I mean, you're the ones who make things happen in this church and even in your own life, so just way to go. And for those of you who haven't started tithing yet and just can't get there, there's, there's always time to jump in. Just get on our website and kind of read about it, figure out how to do that. But remember, this is a lifestyle. This, is, this isn't just for 90 days. Following and obeying Christ with every part of our life is something that we do for a lifetime. So, again, just way to go for those of you who have begun trusting God in that way. 
But we're on our series called Raising the Bar, and gang, if there's an area in our society where we really need to pay attention to, it's in the area of lust and adultery. And this is not new. 4,000 years ago, when God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses, the seventh command was don't commit adultery, and the tenth command was don't covet your neighbor's wife. Of the top ten things that God warned us about, two of them, two out of ten, were about lust and adultery and sexual sin. Why did God warn us about this? Because he knew it would be a problem for everybody. You know, for most of us. Then 2,000 years later, Jesus came along and he repeated God's command, only he raised the bar on this whole topic. And I want you to see the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, he's going to raise the bar, that anyone who even looks, even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye causes you to sin, Jesus says, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut that off and throw it away. Far better to lose a part of your body than your whole body going to hell. Sort of a soft, light teaching for today, isn't it? <laughs> Just glad you came to church. Oh, man. Uh, Many years ago, professional hockey player Bill Butters became a Christian. Bill's one of my best friends in this church. He attends here. But before he became a Christian, all through his hockey career in college and professional hockey, Bill was a fighter, fought all the time, teeth knocked out, 255 stitches in Bill's melon just for fighting on the ice. But then God changed Bill's life, and Bill started a Bible study to reach all his non-Christian hockey friends and hockey people are the worst sinners. Now, just kidding, but some are really quite awful. And so Bill started this Bible study, and it was Bill, Jack Carlson. Remember Jack Carlson? Was the worst fighter in the NHL, feared on the ice. Scott Ledoux, remember Scott Ledoux? He was a professional boxer. Never won anything, but got beat up a lot, but was a professional boxer. And then the fourth guy in this Bible study was Glenn Sonmore who played for the New York Rangers and coached the North Stars for a while. Bill said it was the toughest Bible study on the planet. These guys were just rough. And they started in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, you've heard it said, he's telling these three guys, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, anybody who's angry with his brother is subject to punishment. And Bill said, Glenn Sonmore was immediately agitated and said, that's going to be tough because I hate a lot of people especially French Canadians. He says, I hate those guys. Just going to be a tough Bible study. Bill tried to settle Glenn down, said, Glenn, just be patient, it's okay. But the very next verse Bill read was about lust and gouging out your eye. And of course, Glenn Sonmore had lost an eye, deflected puck and ended his career. And so he's sitting there in his first Bible study with his glass eye. And Bill reads this verse. If your eye causes you to sin, Gouge it out and throw it away. Bill said, Glenn immediately stood up, slammed his Bible down, and said, that's it. I lost one bleeping eye in a hockey game. I'm not losing my other in a bleeping Bible study. <laughs> That's what you call a tough Bible study. 
Look, Bill settled him down again. Glenn actually became a Christian through that Bible study and recently passed away, as most of you know. But part of Glenn's issue was the nature, the outrageous nature of Jesus' words, if your eye cause you to sin, gouge it. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We live in a culture that encourages lust, promotes it, sells it. Your eyes can't escape it. It's part of the reason, folks, it's part of the reason that half of all marriages commit adultery, people in their marriages. But don't raise any hands on this, but how many of you plan on someday committing adultery? You know, how many of you think to yourself when you're walking down the aisle, you know, someday I'm going to cheat on that person. Even though I want to build a family life together with this person, I'm going to ruin it all by sleeping with someone who's not my spouse. Nobody plans on that. Nobody plans on committing adultery, crushing their marriage, destroying their family and future. But half, half, Of all married people do this. But then Jesus pushes it a little bit further and he says this. But I tell you that anybody who even looks at a woman lustfully, or if you're a woman, a man, has already committed adultery with her in her heart, which means that most of us, if not all of us, are guilty of this sin. And the key word is lustfully. He's not forbidding us to look at women, if you're a guy, or a guy if you're a woman. He's not forbidding that, but to look lustfully. And everybody knows the difference between looking and lusting. Lusting is when it goes beyond looking. And you begin to mentally undress this person and fantasize what seeing, touching, and being with this person would be like, I'm telling you if, you, if you allow your mind to habitually go there, habitually visualizing and feeding your lust without any kind of restraint, folks, it's just a matter of time before you're going to cross this line and act on what's going on in your mind and in your heart. That's why Jesus uses such drastic language. And by the way, when he tells us To gouge out an eye, he doesn't mean that literally, because we'd all be blind. Most of us, I probably would. If I, in in fact, if I gouge out my right eye, I can still lust with my left. And if I gouge out both eyes, I can still lust with my mind. So what he means, what he means is this: that the pain associated with losing an eye or hand is nothing compared to the pain and loss associated with adultery. That it would be far better to lose an eye or a hand than lose your marriage, your family, reputation, even your soul by committing this sin of adultery. He's saying this sin is so destructive and painful that you need to take drastic measures. That's what he's saying. Now here's what I know about some of you. Some of you are addicted to lust. You're addicted to pornography. There's no filters on your eyes, mind, or heart, viewing things and going places that just feed 
this hunger for lust without restraint. Others of you are dangerously close to cheating on your spouse with a coworker, neighbor, or former classmate or college flame. Some of you have begun flirting and texting with somebody who is not your spouse, so you're beginning to dress better around them. You look forward to seeing this person at work or at the gym. You have begun an emotional affair. Friends, if that's you, If that's you, all kinds of sirens should be going off in your head, warning you to gouge out your eyes or cut off your hands. Do whatever you got to do to get clear from this pending disaster. And what you have to do, partly, is you got to think ahead and play the movie forward beyond the affair. Guys, picture sitting down with your wife, seeing her eyes, crushing her heart. Picture sitting down with your son or daughter and saying to them, I love you, but but here's why I can't live here anymore. Gals, picture going to your mom or dad and saying, here's what I did. This is what I've done to my marriage and your grandkids. You know, all I have to do is think ahead. Think into the future, what this would happen. If I personally committed this sin, I would lose my marriage, destroy my career, and devastate our church. It would be a national story. It would destroy my wife. My kids and their spouses, who all look up to me as a great dad and godly man, would lose all respect for me. My staff, some of whom are my very best friends, would feel so betrayed. I doubt I could continue to live in the Twin Cities. I could very easily, in a 15-minute time span, destroy everything I've spent a lifetime trying to accomplish. This is an easy call for me. It's not even close. It would be far better for me to lose an eye or to lose an arm or lose a foot than fall into the sin of adultery and lose everything that I care about. That's why Jesus is so direct about it. So if the temptation is so strong and the fallout is so damaging, here's the question. What can you do to prevent this from happening to you or happening again? And if you're single here, by the way, you're not off the hook. You know, a lot of singles think as long as I'm not married, it's hookup city. But what you're doing is you're committing adultery on your future spouse. I'm telling you, the baggage that kind of lifestyle produces can take years of counseling to overcome because it's based on deceit and immorality that follows you into marriage. So again, how can you protect yourself, your family, your life from the pain and loss of adultery? And I hope you know my heart today. Folks, I don't know most of you, but I love you. I do. And I want God's very best for every single person, married person, young person here today. So five ways to protect yourself. Here's the first one. Man, you just got to make a decision before God that you're going to never commit this sin. Or if you've committed it, you're never going to go down that road again because if you leave the door cracked open just a little bit, you're dead. It's going to happen. If your attitude is, you know, if I get bored and the right opportunity comes along, maybe I'll do that. I'm telling you, you're dead. 
It's just a matter of time if you leave that door open. Can I tell you something? Every marriage gets boring. Every marriage gets boring. Every marriage has conflict. Every marriage has problems. And if you don't close the exit door on your marriage and bolt it shut, you're going to make the mistake of thinking there's somebody better out there. Why am I living with this person? And you're going to lose if you do that. Now, are there exceptions to this teaching? Yes, some of you are the victim of an affair. Your spouse cheated on you. And the Bible says that if that has happened to you, you are free to divorce that person. It's not saying you should, but you are free to. Some of you endure such daily abuse from a spouse that to protect yourself and even your kids, you have to leave. But friends, if it's just boredom, if it's just bickering, you have to decide right now in broad daylight while sitting in church (laughs) that you will never under any circumstance fall into bed with somebody who is not your spouse because as fun as that looks on television, it'll destroy you. Proverbs 6 and 7 says a man who commits adultery destroys himself He's like an ox that follows to the slaughter. He's just, oh, here I go. And he just, he just gets slaughtered. I, I mean, don't go there. The Bible says fun for a while, for sure. Devastating in the end. Our first year of marriage was so bad, and we fought so much. We both thought we married the wrong person. We fought through personality differences, boredom, quirky habits that every person has. I have them, you have them. The only thing that saved us was on day one. Here's what we did. We locked the exit door to our marriage and we threw away the key. Question. What do you do when you lock the exit door and throw away the key? And you're fighting. Well, you got to figure it out. You say to yourself, well, divorce is not an option because we locked the door. Having an affair is not an option because we locked the door and threw away the key. I'm stuck with you, and you're stuck with me. Now then, what do we have to do? Easiest thing on the planet is to bail. But if we're stuck together and we're committed, what do we have to do to make this work? If we had not decided that, friends, on day one, no way we would have made it. So make a decision. Second thing is this, you gotta guard your eyes. God, gotta guard your eyes. Because adultery doesn't start way over here somewhere where you finally fall into bed with somebody who's not your spouse. Adultery starts way over here with what you're looking at and what you're allowing, where you're allowing your eyes to go. Jesus said anybody who looks at a woman or if you're a woman, a man, lustfully, has already committed adultery. Here's the question. What do you allow your eyes to look at while you're on the computer? Traveling for business, heading into a theater? Because what you look at, folks, what you look at will absolutely determine behavior. It'll, it'll sink into your soul. It'll absolutely show up in what you do. This is why Job said in, in the Old Testament, way long time ago, Job was, Job was struggling with his sister. So he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I love this. I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at women. And it's almost unfair today, isn't it? It's everywhere. 
It's on the internet, billboards, women at the gym walking around in form-fitting bras and shorts. So Job says, I just, I just got to make a covenant with my eyes to not look. In other words, you see the temptation and you learn to, in that moment, look away. To refuse to let your eyes and mind linger. You turn away, you put filters on your computer. You refuse to go to certain movies I love what Pastor Mike Bro says. He says, whenever I go to the gym, I just take out my contacts. And then I'm blind as a bat. I can't see anything. So he make a covenant with his eyes. Love that. Third way to protect yourself is you've got to guard your feet. You have to be very careful where you go and with whom you go. Proverbs 5.8, keep to a path far away. Don't even go near it. If you know it's a problem, don't go near there. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't flirt with it. Don't get near it. Don't go there. Don't even go close. Because lest you give your best strength to others, the proverb says, and strangers feast on your wealth. Who are the strangers that feast on your wealth when you commit adultery and it leads to divorce? Lawyers. They're going to sweep in and, I mean, you're, you're toast. It's just a mess. And your toil enrich another man's house and suddenly somebody else has my boat, my house, everything I've worked for because we split. There are certain people and places, friends, you just don't go there. If I could be real practical here. Some of you are going to roll your eyes at me in this. You'll send me stuff. I don't care. But our policy on staff is if you're married on staff, if you're married here at our church, you are not permitted to be alone with somebody of the opposite sex who's not your spouse. It's not permitted. You can't go to lunch alone with somebody not your spouse, travel together, can't be alone together under any circumstance. And I know that this is totally acceptable in most businesses. For a man and woman to have lunch or business dinner all alone together. But I think that's trouble. And maybe you can't do much about it in your place of work. But think about it. If your business sends you on a trip alone with a person of the opposite sex to some other city. Staying in the same hotel. Lots of late dinners, drinks, downtime. It's almost relational suicide. Jesus says do whatever you can to stay clear of that. My counsel to you would be this. If you're on a business trip and everybody's going out for drinks and staying out late, you just don't go. You stay in your room. Far better to lose an eye or even your job and lose it, than lose it all in some kind of affair. Okay, third way. Fourth way, guard your emotions. Guard your emotions. If you are beginning to feel a certain little spark for someone who's not your spouse, you find yourself thinking about that person, hoping to get assigned to the same project, that emotion should be a huge, huge warning to you. Certain temptations are so strong that it doesn't matter how intelligent or even how godly you are. If your emotions go unchecked, they will almost always, almost always 
override your intellect. That's why I occasionally stand in front of our 200-plus staff, and I'll, I'll just write a line down the whiteboard, and I'll say, gang, see this line? Don't even get near it. Stay clear of that line, because if your emotions get caught up and you get, you know, they go unchecked, it's just a matter of time. Your emotions are going to override your inner intellect, and you will do something that you will regret. That's why people say, I don't know what I was thinking. And that's the point. They weren't thinking. Their brain left a long time ago because their emotions kicked in. Don't even get near the line. Fifth way to protect yourself, invest invest in your marriage. If you're married here, to invest in your marriage. Best way I know how to avoid adultery and divorce is invest in your marriage. And isn't it true? This is the season of boredom in Minnesota, right? January's terrible. February's got nothing going for it except Valentine's Day, and that's usually a disappointment. (laughs) You know, football's over. Wilder in a slump. T-Wolves are terrible. You've already been to Target and Walmart 18 times for no good reason, but you have nothing else to do. (laughs) You've seen every episode of HGTV twice. This is the time when people say, I need to spice up my life. I need, I want something. I deserve a little something on the side. Everybody does it. Man, if you're thinking that, could I lovingly say this to you? Gouge out your eyes. What I'd really say is invest in your marriage. (laughs) Every year, Laurie and I try to get away at the end of January And it's not hunting season, so I don't have any dogs or guns with me. We don't go with any friends. We usually leave our kids home. It's just Laurie and me and nobody else. When I'm away at the end of January for this period of time, I sleep 10 hours every night. It's like something's wrong with me. I ask Laurie, what's wrong with me? She says, well, your body's just letting go. 10 hours every night, wake up slowly, can hardly get out of bed, Brew some coffee. Oh, coffee. Brew some coffee. Uh, we, 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 you know, do our devotions, and then we take a morning walk. We go someplace warm. We read together during the day. We watch lots of sports and news together. On about day three, we can actually begin to feel a kind of warmth and intimacy seep into our relationship. That's really hard to find when we're at home working and doing our thing. Now, we only started doing this in our late 40s because we had kids and we didn't have any money. So early on in our marriage, we had to get creative and we took shorter trips and did some date nights and we still walk together a lot. We used to walk all the time because honestly, it's in the little things. You don't have to take a trip. It's in the little things. We still walk together almost two or three times a week. We shop together, cook together, watch TV every night together because you got to find joy in the little things in your marriage that are there every day. But the biggest thing, friends, to guard against adultery is to invest heavily in your marriage. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but Bob, my marriage is so boring. It is so mundane. The thrill has been long gone. It's unbearable. My husband sits there with his hand in the Dorito bowl and can't, he just grunts, doesn't talk really, just kind of, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. My wife, 
comes to bed with four layers of flannel. It's brutal. I mean, whatever fire was there has been extinguished a long time ago. So how do you change that? Let me give you five quick tips how you can change that, invest in your marriage. Number one, get a loan. Even if it's a day or two or three or a week, spend some money, get a loan, no Doritos, Doritos, no flannel. Okay, just see what God does. Okay, second thing is this. Get transparent. If you're struggling, you've got to talk. You've got to bring up the subject of sex, which is very difficult. Let me give you a little clue on this. Most couples have different expectations about sex. It's very, very healthy and helpful to have this discussion, say, how often should we do this? I know it sounds weird, but if you can agree on it and find that expectation, it eliminates a lot of the frustration. So get transparent, start talking. Get spiritual. Pray. Lori and I generally don't pray a lot together. We pray separately. We read our Bible together. We do our devotions separately. We, we attend church. But to have the spiritual component, it unites your soul and your spirit. You're on the same page like nothing else can do. Attending church, talking about spiritual matters. Fourth thing is this. Get some help. If you're struggling, I am shocked at how many couples are struggling. And they never get help. It's unbelievable to me. Some of you need to make an appointment with a counselor this week. So get alone, get transparent, get spiritual, get help. And finally, I advise, get naked. Can I say that in church? But this is totally biblical, so just relax, okay? Look at this verse. Kids, close your eyes. Look at this verse. Solomon's talking to his boys. He says, son, son. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice. I mean, she's a gift. He's a gift. A loving doe, graceful deer. Oh, may her breast satisfy you always. Oh, that's a great verse. May she satisfy, may he satisfy you always. The Bible wouldn't say that if it wasn't possible for your spouse to find mutual satisfaction all life long. Um... I bring this up because some couples have a sexless marriage. And that's problematic because it can trigger, trigger thoughts of looking elsewhere. And I know some of you are dealing with issues of shyness or embarrassment or even shame due to past abuse and dysfunction. It's easy just to give up on this whole deal. But sex was God's idea. It was a gift to be thoroughly enjoyed between a husband and wife. But friends, you got to work at it. you got to talk about it. you got to get some advice if you need it. I can say with all integrity, going on 60, not 60 years, 36 years. <laughs> wow. 36 years of marriage, my wife and I are more intimate today and more in love today. And let me tell you why. Because we've worked at it. It can take years to get to know each other sexually, not the mechanics, but to really, to really know 
each other and connect emotionally and physically where you're comfortable and you're not embarrassed or offended. This great verse, the Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God had in mind? They were naked and they weren't ashamed. They weren't embarrassed. It's a beautiful picture. I want to end by saying that there's hope and healing for every person here. My heart breaks for those of you who are victims of this sin. Your spouse betrayed you. He or she violated a sacred trust. And the pain is so deep. But God can heal you. God can touch that deepest area of hurt. And so go to him. Bring this to him. He loves you. And he can heal you. For those of you who have committed this sin, you can be forgiven. It's not the unforgivable sin. You can be forgiven through confession and repentance and a lot of hard work. But before you inflict any more damage on yourself or somebody else, please get help. Try to figure out what caused you to go down this road so it never happens again. Finally, for those of you who are allowing your eyes, feet, and emotions go where they shouldn't, I just urge you with everything I can, avoid this sin at all costs. Jesus said it's far better to lose your eyesight than lose everything you hold dear. I was a sophomore in high school when I met a girl who was so amazing. I was 15. And I asked her out for a date. And she said no. So I asked her again and she said no. I said, why not? She said, I don't like you. <laughs> For three months, I asked her out. And finally, she just gave up. And she became my wife. <laughs> and we've been married now for 36 years. I'm still the luckiest man on earth. Imagine 36 years of waking up together lying next to each other, eating together, laughing together, crying, having kids, and now grandkids. My daughter took this picture yesterday of she and Ibby, who's just starting to walk. This is what hangs in the balance. Don't damage that. Don't damage that. Think ahead. If you're in trouble, do the hard work. If you've you know, kind of blown it already, never again. And our family's not perfect. We have our issues. But gang, I am so grateful to God. And I want this for every person here. God wants it for you. 
But you've got to decide right now while you're in church that you're going to lock the exit door to your marriage. You're never going to violate it. You're going to guard your eyes. You're going to guard your feet and emotions, and you're going to invest in your marriage the best you can so that life will go well. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. Be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, this is such a, this is such a um, difficult area. It's an area where a lot of us are constantly tempted. It's an area that a lot of us have failed in. God, I, I pray specifically for the married couple right now. who are so close to the edge. That any time it's going to happen. And I just pray that you will give them the courage and wisdom to pull back away from that edge and that line and do what they have to do to restore what they once had once in love. God, I pray that you will bring that back. For those of us standing here who are hurting because someone was unfaithful, God, I pray for healing and strength. I also pray for the ones who have committed this sin. God, I pray that you will give them the forgiveness that they seek. Give them a second chance. And now, God, we thank you and praise you for your word, which is true and life-giving. Thank you for letting us hear it today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. If you need some prayer, come on up. It's been great to be with everybody here today.